Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. If you want to follow along uh, in your Bibles, we provided one right there in front of you. If you brought your own, great. But we're going to be in John chapter 6 primarily. But if you're following along with the House Bible... Uh, you can find on page 891, 892, we'll kind of be back and forth between those two sections. And so a reminder, we're going through this new series in the Gospel of John, Jesus, the I Am, the I Am, I am statements in the Gospel of John. And last week I introduced the idea of the synoptic Gospels, as a fancy word to refer to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three, and the idea of contrasting that with John's Gospel, uh, and the idea that though John does not contradict the synoptic Gospels, John's gospel does provide this unique narrative account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And so one difference is that John did not cite many Old Testament verses as the other synoptics did. Um, but what, did John, uh, what John did do, however, is that he would take stories about Jesus and show how Jesus fulfilled many of the Old Testament Jewish expectations that were unique to John's gospel, and we're going to look at one today. So Jesus in John's gospel is bringing the fulfillment of a messianic expectation, and particularly those found in the Old Testament, but with a kind of a twist. So one thing to note is that this in John chapter 6, you take a look on page 891, you'll see in verse 1 that this is a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And that's very important because this story of the feeding is the only miracle found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 6 starts off with this feeding. So what John and the synoptics share is this one story in common. Plus, keep in mind, John's Gospel is 90% unique from Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And so this story is one of the small 10% that John shares with the synoptics. And so what we're seeing is that John is sharing this familiar story, but giving a neat perspective on this very special story. And you're going to see why it's so important. Why this is such an important story for John as he's telling the ministry of Jesus and what he's come to do. Because Jesus' identity is not only as the coming Messiah, the coming Redeemer. It absolutely is that. But John is painting the picture of Jesus and I think even for us today, that Jesus is so much more than what you've been expecting. In other words, that our expectations sometimes, or our assumptions about Jesus, or even our desires for life in Jesus are actually too limited, too small, and Jesus has something more expansive than what we have even been thinking. That was for sure for the early hearers of Jesus's ministry. Jesus is basically trying to expand their vision of why he came. Jesus, the coming Messiah, yes, coming to save Israel, but Jesus coming to give himself, his life, his actual body, his blood, they had no concept of that. And Jesus is saying, I'm much more than what you expected of me. So the question here is, you take a look at John 6, you can take a quick scan Before Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what are the two major events that happen in John chapter 6? Take a look in your Bibles. The first one is Jesus feeds the 5,000. And what's the second one you see? Jesus walking on 
water. This is very significant because what's happening is that you get to see with new eyes some very purposeful parallels that John, the writer of the gospel, is trying to make for you when you read this story. John is trying to make a connection between Jesus and the Exodus story. So if you're taking notes, just write the word Exodus. The Exodus story, John is trying to show you Jesus comes right in the middle of that. So Jesus is being portrayed as kind of a new Moses from the Exodus story. Well, how so, Pastor Tim? Well, just as Moses parted the Red Sea, remember that story? Well, Jesus is walking on water. Just as Moses overcame the water, Jesus is overcoming the water in order to do something salvific, in order to save people. Remember Moses and the miracle of the manna descending from heaven? Well, here's Jesus and the miracle of the multiplying bread, the multiplying loaves. We see Jesus actually on a mountaintop here teaching the crowds. Well, there's someone called Moses who actually went to a mountaintop to receive the word of God to bring down to the crowds. And so what we see here in the Gospel of John is that John is portraying Jesus as kind of like a new and better Moses with this particular story from John 6 with the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water. And then, then Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he makes this proclamation. So what we're going to do is three things today, fairly quickly. We're going to kind of stick around John 6, verse 35. And what happens with that, and we're going to break it down to three parts, where Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. We're going to take a look at each of the sections and then together and see what uh, we can glean from this. So first of all, Jesus says, I am. I am. This is very important. Because Jesus has just fed the 5,000, physical bread, right? And now he points to himself as the bread of life. And so I want you to keep in mind, Jesus throughout the Gospel of John, using this phrase, I am, is a hint at his divinity. So if you haven't been coming the last few weeks, let me remind you that John, the Gospel writer, different than the synoptic writers, purposely used this phrase, and this is originally written in the Greek, just so you know, this phrase, ego ami, ego ami, I am, I am, I am. He used it all over the Gospel of John. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke rarely use it, this phrase, I am. Well, I think it's a purposeful attempt by John to allude again to the Exodus story. And in Exodus 3.14, when Moses encounters God, he says, well, what's your name? And God says, well, I am who I am. And in the Greek Septuagint, which had been the Hebrew scriptures translated into Greek, it'd be ego emi. And so you see the gospel of John keeps using I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, a hint at the Exodus story, a hint that Jesus, maybe he is more than just a Messiah. Maybe he's more than someone who's coming to fix our problems. Wow, who is this person, Jesus? I am, Jesus is making the claim. Every use of the I am points to Jesus as the divine. Sometimes it even gets more blatant that Jesus is the great I am. He doesn't only say, well, I am the bread of life. He attaching what they call a predicate or an object to this phrase, I am. I am the bread. I am the way, truth, and life. I am the resurrection. That's the predicate, the object. Sometimes Jesus says, I am. In fact, he says something like this, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus, didn't you take grammar? You're supposed to finish that sentence. He says, well, I am. I am. 
I am. Are you getting the hint, people? He's pointing to himself as the great I am. So though Jesus is not explicitly saying or holding up a placard saying, oh, by the way, I'm God, doesn't do that. He keeps using language and performing acts that make people think, I think he's more than we think he is. He's using phraseology. He's attributing things to himself. He's doing actions that only God can do. Who is this man? And Jesus says, I am. I am. Jesus, in some ways, he's stirring the pot when he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And in some ways, he's pointing to the people who are expecting the predicted Messiah, a coming Jewish redeemer. He's saying, oh yeah, I'm the Messiah. Yes, I'm the redeemer, but I am something more. I am more than the savior you've been expecting to come and fix all your problems. I'm more than a cosmic Santa Claus. I'm more than a great king coming to get rid of the Romans. I'm far more than your limited expectations of me. I did not just come to bring you a fulfilled, happy life. I didn't come just to fix things. I am. It's much more expansive. I am. Famous quote, having made billions in the oil industry, John D. Rockefeller was once asked, you're a multi-billionaire. This is back in the day when a billionaire was like a trillionaire to today's values. How much more money was enough, Mr. Rockefeller? He said, just one more dollar. It's never enough unless you know the I am. It's never enough. You put in the blank, money, power, prestige, being liked, having followers, getting into this school, achieving this or that. It's never enough unless you know the great I am who is enough. For everything. If you expect Jesus to fix your problems and you're not going to find the real Jesus, you're not going to find the I am, then he's just a great historical figure or he's someone inspirational. He's a, he, he's a great model for me to try to be a moral human being. Jesus, no, 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 I am. <laughs> I'm way more than any of that. And he's even way more than even some ways people call, oh, the Messiah, he's a, he's a savior. Well, no, no, he's the Savior who's the great I am. He's God himself who gave his body and his blood to purchase, to make a way for your sins to be absolved and for you to be with him forever. That's, that's more than what some people's expectations of a Savior even is. Oh, it's God himself giving his life. He's the great I am. He did not have to do this. <laughs> he's not getting anything out of this deal. He's making a way for you to be with him forever. Jesus says, I am the bread but I am so much more than you can even desire. I know you better than you know yourself. Trust me with your stock market portfolio. Oh, ouch. Trust me with your retirement plans. Trust me with that broken relationship. Trust me with your body image. Trust me with the virus going around. Trust me. Do not live in fear. Trust me. I am. Trust me even as you face death. Trust me even with the cancer diagnosis. And he's not promising to fix things the way you want them to be fixed. He's simply saying, I am. Trust me. Lean into me. Rest into me. I know you better than you know yourself. Invest in me, Jesus says, because no thief can steal away your investment in me. Invest in me, Jesus says. Trust me with your entire life. Don't compartmentalize me for church stuff or ethical stuff. No, he wants it all. 
Trust me, the I am. So my question for you as we roll through these texts today, do you trust Jesus with your entire life? Your money, your intellect, your relationships, your body image, your family problems. And yes, if you have a family, you have problems, okay? Family problems. Your intellect, the perception that people have of you, your, your career, your past career, your future career, your bitterness, the wrongs done against you, the injustices in your life. Do you trust the great I am? Do you trust him for your problems, your real problems, for your loneliness, for your past mistakes? Because guess what? You need a redeemer who is the great I am to make sense, to heal, to bring forgiveness to your past mistakes and your future mistakes. Do you trust him with your doubts? I am. So the next section, because Jesus says in six, chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread. We're going to talk about the bread for a minute. Now, I want you to turn to someone next to you, though, okay? You don't have to touch them. Just turn to them. And tell them about the best bread you've ever had in your life. Okay, go ahead. Turn to someone. Best bread you've ever had. Go for it. Think about it. Is it in a store? Did you make it? All right. Best bread you've ever had. All right, bring it back. I love this. This is great. Now everyone's hungry, right? Okay. Best bread you ever had. Now, how many of you named a bread? How many of you named a bread that you can get somewhere? That right now, you can leave today and get it somewhere. Or, or you, any of you have to travel somewhere to get this bread? How about any of you name a bread that you make? Like, has to be made, like, in a home? Something like that? Okay, some of you like that. My favorite bread comes from the island of Molokai, which is on Hawaii. Tiny island of Hawaii. It's actually one of the most impoverished areas in the, in the United States, actually. But they have the most amazing bread, Molokai bread. It's famous. And at midnight, you go into this dark alley, I'm not even kidding you, and you knock on this door, and the door opens, you throw in some cash, they close the door, and they come out, they open the door, they hand you this piping hot, fresh loaf of bread filled with like local fruit jams from Hawaii. It is, I know, I'm getting hungry. Like, it is unbelievable. And isn't it awesome that my wife and kids eat gluten-free? Because over the years, I've really gotten used to gluten-free bread. Not at all. No, no. So for me, like, thinking of bread is like, oh, this amazing thing. But then on the other end, I've come to learn some really terrible things about bread. Because bread is made up not of protein, but of carbs. And then someone had to ruin my day and tell me, carbs spike my insulin levels. And then someone really ruined my day and said, well, if you have spiked insulin levels, it says your body to kind of store fat. And then then that makes, Pastor Tim, your belly won't be, you know, know, you're going to need to buy stretchy pants. Stretchy pants is in your future, right? And so for me now, bread is like this, oh, I can't have that. Or even if I do have it, oh, it's going to like ruin my diet, right? I don't know, for you, it's like, does bread have this 100% positive connotation in your life? So for me, it doesn't anymore. See, for Jesus, when he's talking about bread 2,000 years ago to this uh, Middle Eastern context, it was all good. Bread is good. Bread is life. Bread is, is happiness, right? I grew up, bread was happiness. Bread is not happiness anymore, not from my waistline at least. Not for my insulin levels, but for back then, bread was happiness. It was the good life. And then Jesus comes into the scene and says, I am the bread. They're like, wow, he's everything. 
Jewish literature in particular celebrated God's provision of bread, the manna for Israel in the desert. And people with Jewish expectations expected another redeemer to come who would again prove to be the one sent by God to do what? Bring bread. This rabbinic saying around the time of Jesus went something like this. As the first redeemer caused manna to descend, so the last redeemer will call call manna to descend. They expected a Messiah to do a particular thing. Show me the bread. If you are really the one predicted to come, you will bring bread. Okay. And in the age of the Messiah was believed to be in the age of abundance. So that when this Redeemer Messiah comes, it will be an abundant age marked by the miraculous coming of bread, right? The sustenance of life, the, the flavor of life, the smell. I mean, you start thinking about it. It represented all things that was good, bread. And so we see Jesus in the feeding story in John chapter 6. He presents himself as the fulfillment of these Jewish expectations. Yes, it's me. I'm the one. But in contrast to popular belief, who wanted this earthly victorious king, feeding him bread, destroying the Romans, lowering taxes, they were looking for a presidential candidate to, to solve all of their problems. Really. And so Jesus provides the bread, okay? Things are going great. And then he decides to point to himself as a suffering Messiah. Look at verse 47 with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. He says it again. Verse 49, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. Here's this Exodus allusions again, coming from the mouth of Jesus. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. He says, the ones who ate the one in the desert, they died. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Unlike your forefathers and foremothers in the desert, they died. But this bread that I bring, you will not die, he's saying. Verse 51, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he's saying, eats of me, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You see, here's, he's saying he's giving his flesh for the life of the world. What does that mean? He's not talking about a victorious redeemer, Messiah king like they wanted. To them, Messiah was new ruler kicking out the Romans. He's saying, I'm a compl- I am way more, I am way more than you're thinking. Yes, I'm a victorious king who's going to lay down his life to feed you the bread you really need. You need more than this physical bread. You have something where your desires are too small, is what he's saying. They're saying, the crowds are basically saying, prove to us you're the right candidate. Prove to us that you're the Messiah. Show us the manna. Give us the bread. And if so, if Jesus kept providing the manna that they wanted just then, just as Moses had done, they would see the sign, the last redeemer. He's the correct candidate. Here's the future king. Let's get behind him. Let's start a revolution. Let's overthrow the Roman government. He brought us the bread. We got God on our side. He says, oh, wait, 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 by the way, I'm going to be laying down my life. You have to eat my flesh. I'm going to die. Time out. 
Jesus' handler said, wait, wait, Jesus, you didn't understand we had momentum right here. <laughs> we had some good momentum. Donations were coming in. The polls are showing great. We're going to overthrow the kingdom, the evil Romans. No, stop that messaging. Bad messaging, Jesus. And he's like, but I am the bread that you must eat my flesh because I'm going to die. Whoa, whoa, this is not what we signed up for, Jesus. It's not what we signed up for at all. You see, Roman rulers themselves, throughout the empire, they regularly placated the populace with distributions of bread or grain. Sounds a lot like our right, presidential candidates, right? Telling us, telling everyone what they want to hear. No matter what side you're on, this is what we do, right? The bread, they start throwing out bread. I will do this if you vote for me. I will do this. And so the Roman rulers did this. This is the old play, right? 2,000 years ago. They're throwing out bread to the crowds throughout the Roman Empire. Can you imagine the frenzy of our city right here if uh, the city council started throwing out prepackaged sealed iPhones, just throwing them out? You have a frenzy. Well, this is what they did around the empire to control the masses. I promise you, if you support me, I'm going to give you the bread. I'm going to give you exactly what you need. So like a typical crowd in a Greco-Roman city, which in this region where Jesus is preaching, it is, the crowd surrounding Jesus sometimes had no interest actually in anything but getting the bread. We need bread. Their eagerness to make Jesus king was on the basis of if we vote for him, we're going to have bread, unending bread. And he's like, oh, wait, wait, I think you misunderstand what I'm here for. I gave you bread today, but I'm going to give you real bread, something way more than what the Romans are offering, even so much more than what you're even looking for right now. I have a different kind of bread, and it's my own flesh. It's my own death that's going to bring you life. So Jesus is trying to help them see that they have a bigger hunger than just their stomachs growling. So I want you to think of this. You can write this down. I want you to look for the hunger beneath the hunger in your life. The thirst beneath the thirst. Because when someone's going for another drink of alcohol, there's a thirst beneath the thirst, right? When someone is, is, is hungering for more power, there's a hunger beneath the hunger. And Jesus is saying, you have a hunger beneath your hunger. You have a thirst beneath your thirst. And I am coming to reveal this to you, hold a mirror up to you to show you that you need a different kind of bread because I am the bread that you need. And it's completely different than you think. I'm not here to solve your problems and I'm here to improve your life. I'm here for you to lose your life and follow me. And in losing your life, Jesus says in other passages, then you'll find it, but it involves death. And Jesus will say more clearly in other places, it's death to self. Death to these thirsts, these false thirsts and these false hungers that don't really point you to Jesus. Jesus, I am the bread and lastly of life. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Isn't it interesting? He's talking about bread, but he throws in hunger and thirst. He's like two very, very basic human realities, right? Every human being. We're hungry and we're thirsty every single day. And even more hungry after I talked about Molokai bread, but hungry 
and thirsty all the time, right? And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So Jesus is claiming to answer every hunger, every thirst, every hunger beneath the hunger, every thirst beneath the thirst. Jesus says, what you really want is me. That's what you're really looking for. For every desire for a relationship to fill a void, Jesus is saying, you're really looking for me. For every injustice, actually, that we hunger to try to eradicate in the world or in our lives, there's really a hunger underneath that hunger for the true justice of Jesus, for all the cosmic injustices to be made right, because this world just isn't right. We, We see so much beauty in this world, but there's so much wrong. We know something's not right. And so if you want to go and be environmentalist without Jesus, we'll go for it. But I'm telling you, to do it with Jesus is so much better because it's his environment that he made. And he wants to see justice and the right things done there. And he wants to see justice done in broken relationships in this world. That's why we're collecting car seats and diapers because it doesn't seem right. Why are some kids born into a world where they don't have a mom or dad who can take care of them? It doesn't make sense, right? I don't understand why my life was so different than theirs. That's a cosmic injustice, right? Jesus says there's a hunger beneath the hunger. There's a thirst beneath the thirst. And so we're collecting infant car seats and diapers so that these kids and the adoptive families might know that Jesus the King loves them. There's a thirst beneath the thirst. You see... Every time we go looking for something else to fill us up outside of Jesus, we're pursuing what we call functional saviors to replace the real savior. A functional savior is whatever you trust more than God to give you the life that you want. So we're going to pause for a second. Say, Pastor, tell me more about these functional saviors. What do you mean? Well, they could be bad things, right? Alcoholism, bad. Or they can be good things like getting good grades, right? It can be good things or bad things by our society, but functional saviors. Um, let me give you some hints. I'm going to rattle off some questions from David Paulison that he formulated to help you get an idea of how sometimes you might have functional saviors replacing your real savior. You ready for the questions? I'll email these to you later. If you email me, you don't have to write them down, but think, listen, ask yourself this question this week. What am I most afraid of? Fear. Functional savior, control, right? Safety. What do I long for most passionately? Oh, our desires can be a functional savior. Where do I run for comfort? You mean comfort could be a functional savior? Absolutely. What do I complain about most? Oh, now we're getting tricky here, Pastor Tim. Uh, Are you a complainer? Functional savior. You, You have power over that thing. What angers me the most? Anger can point to a functional savior. What makes me happiest? How do I explain myself to other people? What I do, what I have, my reputation. How do you describe yourself to other people? Functional savior right there. What causes me to be angry with God in particular? Every one of us have had some pain points in our life where we say, why God, why God? Functional savior. What do I brag about? Good question. What do I want to have more than anything else? If I just had that, that could be your functional savior. What do I 
sacrifice the most for in my life right now? Those sacrifices you make. How about this question? If I could change one thing in my life, what would that be? That could be driving your life right now. And you're not even inviting Jesus into that. Whose approval am I seeking? A family member, a friend, a group of peers, the culture? What do I want to control or to master? And lastly, what comfort do I treasure most? That's another way of saying, if I lost that, life would not be worth living. Aren't these good questions? What's your functional savior? Because even good things can drive us away from Jesus. We're going to take a look as we conclude verses 51 to 52 and then jump to verse 60. Turn with me there. Jesus says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus goes on to explain it. Then in verse 60, after he gives this great explanation, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? This isn't just the crowds. These were like Jesus's key followers saying, uh, I don't think we signed up for the right candidate. <laughs> like Things are going really awry really quickly. We thought we were joining forces with our next king. We thought we were getting different you know, government posts with King Jesus. We thought we were riding his coattails to the throne. He's talking about death, sacrifice, losing his life. This is getting nutso. We must eat his flesh. This does not make sense at all. His own disciples... So many disciples were put off by Jesus' teaching that it was too hard because Jesus was trying to tell them, I'm not just a prophet, I'm not just the predicted Messiah who you thought was going to come to fix all your problems. I am claiming to be the bread of life, life itself. And the only way for you to find life is for me to lay down my life. They said, I'm not sure we bought into this plan, Jesus. Maybe we wonder sometimes, too, that we must let go of the hungers and hand them over to Jesus. We must let go of our own thirst and hand them to Jesus. Even he said, Pastor, I think these are good things. I know they're good things. A lot of them are good things. You've got to give up even your good things, your good family, your good reputation, your good job to Jesus. He's saying your desires, they're too small. You need to expand them so you can see that I am the bread of life. C.S. Lewis famously said, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And so like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday. Can't imagine a feast before him. And then Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased by our hungers 
and our thirst. We don't hunger and thirst for the right things. And Jesus says, hunger for me. I am the bread of life. Thirst for me. Start looking at the hunger beneath the hunger. Start looking for those thirsts beneath the thirst that are leading you astray into a life of emptiness, a life of lostness, a life of numbness. Jesus says, come alive. I am the bread of life. Feast on me. So I ask you again as we wrap up, what kind of bread do you depend on in order to have the good life, to be comfortable, to feel safe, to be happy, to be fulfilled? Again, all good things. But without Jesus being Lord of those things, they turn us away. What do you thirst for? Because a lot of people thirst for drugs or alcohol, romance, money, a relationship, being like as their bread. I need those things for me to have the things I want in my life, Jesus. Or maybe you turn to more respectable things, a good reputation, a successful project, the appearance of the American dream, to have the perfect family. And there's no perfect family, by the way. Maybe that is a good life for you, good things. And then Pastor Tim Keller reminds us, when good things become ultimate things, they become idols that actually keep you far from God. Wow, good things can keep you far from God. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying, asking for all of us, all of our hungers, all of our thirsts. And in that, if we follow Jesus, we realize he's leading us towards a path of losing our life, losing our hungers, losing our thirst in him. And that he would place his own life as we say, I've died to myself. I need you, Jesus. Give me new hungers. Give me new thirsts. May the things, Lord, that break your heart break my heart. That happens when you give your whole self to Jesus. We keep putting our hopes in the wrong bread, and so look at your calendar honestly this week. Assess how much time is spent feasting on Jesus, the bread of life, feasting on the I am. Talking about meditating on scripture, spending time in prayer, serving those in need, using your resources to bless ministries. I'm not just talking about church ministries or official ministries, but each one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you died to yourself and asked Jesus the I am to take over your life, forgive you of sins and help you live your life, that means every one of you is a pastor. And you're pastoring and your 